Praise the Lord. Well, it's time for the Word of God now, and today the Word of God is going to come out of Acts chapter 1, the Acts of the Apostles chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading with verse 9. Let's ask God's blessing on our time together. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you're our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Acts of the Apostles in chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. Listen to what God's word says. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. I want to preach about the up and up on the ascension of Jesus. The up and up on the ascension of Jesus. The writer of the book of Acts is Luke as he was um, breathed on through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit inspired him to write the book of Acts and to write the Gospel of Luke. And in both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, Luke mentions the ascension of Jesus. He closes the Gospel of Luke out in chapter 24. He closes with the ascension. And then in, in Acts, he opens with the ascension in chapter 1. And it shows the significance of the ascension. And when Luke writes uh, in, in, in the book of Acts, he opens with a Theophilus to my brother Theophilus. And Theophilus means friend of God. And there are those who suggest that Theophilus was not just one individual purpose, but to anyone who is a friend of God, that this is to anyone who's accepted Jesus by faith into their life for salvation, and this is a word to you. And he starts talking about the, the resurrection of Jesus, of course, the crucifixion. Jesus died on the cross for our sin, and then three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead. And, and Luke says that for 40 days that Jesus, from the resurrection to the ascension, was 40 days before he ascended to the Father. And during that 40 days, Luke says that he met with the disciples uh, from time to time. Not every minute, not every second, but from time to time. And verse 3 says he did it so that they could, so that he would prove that he was alive. Jesus died on the cross. God raised him from the dead. And for 40 days, he hung around meeting with the disciples from time to time to prove he was alive because there were those in the first century that didn't believe Jesus was raised from the dead. And there are those in the 21st century that don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Luke said, Jesus hung around 40 days to prove he was alive. And one of the ways he sought to prove it, verse 3 says in Acts 1, we saw him that Jesus let people see him to prove that he's the resurrected Christ, that he is alive in bodily form, that Jesus was raised. Some people say, well, he was raised, but he was raised in his spirit. He was raised not just in his spirit, but literally, physically, bodily, actually. 
actually he was raised from the dead. How do we know that? Luke said we know it because we saw him. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, the Apostle Paul says after resurrection that Jesus was seen by Cephas. Then he was seen by the 12. Then he was seen by more than 500 people at one time. Look at the variety of ways that Jesus was seen. He was seen by individuals. He was seen by crowds. He was seen by men. He was seen by women. He was seen in the daytime. He was seen in the night. And Luke said he did all that to prove he was raised from the dead, to prove he was alive. He was seen by individuals. If he had just been seen by individuals and not a crowd, folk would say, well, that individual, they were crazy anyway. They ain't seen no resurrected Jesus. So he also showed himself to crowds. But if it had just been just crowds and not individuals, they would have said, that's mob psychology. That's mass hallucination. They didn't all see Jesus. And so he showed himself to individuals and crowds. He showed himself, Joe, Joe, uh, Joe Gregory brings this up. He showed himself to men and women. He showed himself to men and women, because it had just been women, someone would have said, you know how emotional women were towards Jesus, and they just seeing what they want to see. So he showed himself to men. But he just showed himself to men and not women, they would have said, well, you know, psychologists say men only use half their brains. And so these half-wits, they really didn't see who Jesus was. And so men and women saw him. And then in the daylight and at night. And he just showed himself in the day, they would have said, that hot sun in Israel, that blazing sun in the desert brought hallucinations and, 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 and mirages. They didn't really see Jesus, so he showed himself at night. Had it just been the night and not the day, they would have said, well, they didn't have the technology and the light bulbs in the, in the first century. So they, didn't, they just saw a silhouette. That may not even have been Jesus. So he showed himself to individuals and crowds, showed himself to men and women in the day and night, Luke says in Acts 1 and 3 to prove he was alive and not just see him. He said we saw him, but we also heard him. That, that proved he was. We heard him. That Jesus was talking about the kingdom. They start asking Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, is this when, uh, this is when you're going to come back and establish your kingdom? And so Jesus responds in, 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 in Acts 1, that's up to God to determine when, when I'm coming back and when the kingdom is going to be established and the Roman government over there. That's up to God to determine all of that. He's talking about the kingdom, the rule, the reign, and the righteousness of God. We saw him. We heard him. And Luke would even say, we touched him. We embraced him. People talking about Jesus wasn't raised in his bodily form. Yes, he was because they touched him. Remember Mary Magdalene when she saw the resurrected Christ? She began to hug him. And Jesus said, listen, you got to let me go. I haven't ascended to my father yet. You can't embrace a spirit. You can't hug a spirit. Jesus was raised, literally, actually. He was raised physically and bodily. He was in his body. We saw him, Luke says. We heard. We touched him. He even ate food. He told his disciples, go get me something to eat. In his resurrected body. If he's just a spirit, spirits don't eat, but bodies need food. And Jesus, we saw him. We heard him. We touched him. We embraced him. And then Luke says after 40 days, he then, this cloud comes. And this cloud in verse 9 picks Jesus up and begins to take him on up to glory, on up to heaven. And as the cloud is taking him up, his disciples are standing there watching him. And they're staring as Jesus goes up. And then two men walk up on him and say, why are y'all staring? 
Why y'all gazing up at him as he goes up? This same Jesus that's going up now is the same Jesus who's going to come back later. And we learn about the importance of the ascension of Jesus. Some of us, we understand the crucifixion. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. We got that, and praise the Lord, you got it. And some of us understand the resurrection of Jesus, that he was indeed raised from the dead three days after he died. And that's important and significant. But this issue of the ascension, so many of us overlook, that 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus is saying, why are you gazing? Why are you looking up? The same Jesus going up is coming down. Well, what's so important about this ascension? Well, one of the things that's so important about it is that it puts Jesus Christ in his proper place. That he ascends, and the word of God teaches us he gets into heaven, and he sits down at the right hand of God. All through scripture, it talks about Jesus being at the right. Even in the Psalms, it talks about Jesus at the, the Lord, at the right hand of God of the Father. In Colossians, Paul wrote to them and said that Jesus ascended and he sits at the right hand of the Father. Stephen was being stoned and looked up and said, I saw heaven open. And Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father. The writer of the book of Hebrews said that Jesus went into the heavenly holy of holies and, and he sacrificed himself. His own blood was shed. And then he ascended to the right hand, sat down at the right hand of the Father. The ascension of Jesus puts Jesus in his proper place. Now that's where it started. He's Lord of Lords. He's King of Kings. He came from heaven to earth to address our issues with sin. But where it all started, he's in heaven. Ascension puts him back in his proper place, in heaven, in glory. Y'all, in, in glory... Everybody knew who Jesus was, Lord of Lords and King. Everybody knew that. But on earth, uh, he was like a root out of dry ground. Folk didn't recognize who Jesus was. Why do you think Judas had to betray Jesus with a kiss? Because the Roman soldiers didn't know which one of those 13 men was Jesus. So Jesus said, Judas said, the one I kiss, that's who he is. Because in glory, everybody knew him. But on earth, so many people overlooked. He's a rejected stone who then became the chief cornerstone in, in glory in it, before he came here, that everybody lifted Jesus up. The elders lifted him up. The angels, the souls under the altar, they all praised him and lifted Jesus up. But when he came to earth, folk were trying to tear Jesus down. In glory, Jesus sat on a throne, but on earth, he was nailed to a cross. But after God raised him from the dead, the ascension puts Jesus in his proper place at the right hand of the Father. And at the right hand of the Father, the Word of God teaches us that Jesus is making intercessions for you and I. Oh, I love that. that. That means no matter what we're facing in life, no matter what the crisis, no matter what the job situation, no matter what's happening in the community, no matter about social justice, no matter about all the issues that we face, the racism and the sexism and the ageism, it's good to know that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercessions for you. And that's how I know everything is going to be all right. We're in a crisis, but it's going to all turn out good. How do you know that? Jesus is in his proper place making intercessions for us at the right hand of the Father. Here's what the Word of God teaches us. 
that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, God said, then I hear from heaven and heal their land. Jesus said, up until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, you shall receive. Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. If you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, then the door will be opened unto you. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, you can ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. The apostle James said, the effectual and fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. It's effect. Prayers of the righteous are so effective, it gets so much done. And all those verses I just mentioned in prayer about how effectual they are, that's when you and I pray. And if all of that happens when you and I pray, imagine what happens when Jesus prays at the right hand of the Father, making intercessions for you and I. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. No matter what we're facing and what we're going through, everything is going to be all right because the ascension has put Jesus in his proper place of honor and glory, making intercessions for us. There's some things going on in heaven that you're not aware of that's a blessing to you right here on this earth. My friend, my young friend, uh, William Lee, Dr. William Lee, he pastors a church in Chicago. He had pastored in Indianapolis for a few years. He pastored the Seventh-day Adventist church. So I would go by there on Saturday. They worship on Saturdays at 11. So I would go by Saturday and worship with them. I love to hear William Lee preach. Very inspiring and encouraging and informing. And once I was over there hearing him preach, this is years ago. He had just gotten to the church. And uh, he's kind of high tech. So he has a laptop in the pulpit while he's preaching. And he had this controller in his hand. And so he would put verses of scripture on the screen. This is before everybody else started this. And he would put images of what he was preaching and illustrations on the screen just by clicking that little controller that's in his hand. And so I went to hear him preach, and he was up preaching. And he pushed that controller. Then nothing happened on the screen. No change, no transition on the screen. He looks up in the balcony, and he says to his team, Now, if y'all click on what I told you to click on up there, then I'll have some power down here. And so he began to preach again, and as he kept on preaching, a few minutes later, he pushed it again, that controller, no change, no transition happened. He stopped again. This time he wasn't as calm. And he said, now, if you all up there in that balcony, if you will push on and click on what I told you to click on up there, I'll have some power down here. And he kept on preaching after that. And then he pushed it again. Nothing happened. No change, no transition. This time he was not as patient. This time he was not as calm. You could tell it, the frustration in his face and in his voice. And he said again, I told you if you would click on what I told you up there, I will have power down here. And the reason why he had no power down here, because things were not clicking right up there. But that's not the issue for you and I. You and I, have power and authority on this earth to address whatever we need to address because Jesus is up there in heaven clicking with his Father, making intercessions for you and I. And because Jesus is clicking with his Father with intercession, when you and I have faith, then we can make changes and transitions and transform right here on this earth. Why are you looking and staring as Jesus goes up? The same Jesus went up, it's coming down. 
and Luke says this ascension is so important because it puts Jesus in his proper place, but also because it is the, the prelude for the coming of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascended, that was the prelude for the Holy Spirit to come down to this earth to feel you and to feel me. Jesus told them in Acts 1, he said, listen, I, I want you all to go and, and wait. The Holy, wait for the promise of God, which is the Holy Spirit. Wait on the promise of God. And 120 disciples went and they waited in the upper room and they were praying and they were together with unity and they were waiting on the promise of God. And then the Holy Spirit came, but the Holy Spirit did not come down until Jesus went up. It is the ascension of Jesus that was the prelude for the descension of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I, I know that uh, in, in John 15, Jesus had already told them about this. In, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, Jesus said, I got to go away. I'm going to have to go away. And the disciples were trying to convince Jesus, don't go away. You need to stay here with us. We need you here. And Jesus said, if I don't go away, then the paraclete will not come. If I don't go away, then the comforter will not come. If I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit, he will not come. So the ascension is so significant because it is the prelude of the descension of God's Holy Spirit. Now, those of you who read Scripture, I know you're wondering, well, wait a minute, we see the Holy Spirit. He's in the Old Testament too. So the Holy Spirit is on earth moving before the ascension. And since that is the case, Pastor Johnson, how can you talk about the ascension as the prelude if the Holy Spirit was already moving in the Old Testament? Yes, you're right. We do see the Holy Spirit on earth moving before the ascension of Jesus. But prior to, prior to the ascension of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he would show up, come on a person, and then he'd leave a person. And so in the, before the ascension, the Holy Spirit, he was set up on a person. But after the ascension, the Holy Spirit didn't just set up on somebody. It would get into them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. He got in them. Before the ascension, the Holy Spirit would, would be temporal, temporary. He'd come and go. But after the ascension, the Holy Spirit seals your salvation to the day of, to the day of redemption. In Ephesians, it speaks that. So it's not temporal, it is eternal. So this ascension of Jesus is the prelude of the Holy Spirit coming. And you and I need to make sure that we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he said that you all boast about John the Baptist baptizing you with water, but I've come to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And I praise God that you've been baptized with water. That, that's significant and important because you identify with, with Jesus Christ who was baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. Your baptism with water is obedience to God. He said, go therefore and baptize them. So you're, you're obedient to him. It identifies you with Christ and with the body of Christ. But the baptism with water is not enough. You need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, Jesus says. That when you believe Jesus died on the cross, you believe God raised him from the dead. At that very moment, you are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. And then the Holy Spirit, don't you know that your body is the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you? The Holy Spirit comes down when Jesus goes up and he takes us and places us by faith into the body of Christ. 
and then he moves inside of us. Don't you know that your body is the temple of God? Spirit of God lives in you. So you're in the spirit and the spirit is in you. You're in Jesus. Holy Spirit puts you in him. And then Jesus gets in you in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I know it's not easy to understand. It's like a fish in the water. So when the fish is in the water, in order for the fish to survive, the fish got to be in the water, but the water's also got to be in the fish. It's like a bird in the air. If a bird is going to survive, the bird has got to be in the air, but the air has also got to be in the bird. And those of us who are seeking this relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, you got to be in the spirit, and the spirit has also got to be in you. When, the Holy, when, when Jesus ascends, his Holy Spirit descends, places us in the body of Christ, and then moves inside of us. So whatever our challenges are, whatever our issues are, we have what it takes to be able to address it and overcome it and rise above it because of God's Holy Spirit that is in us. Uh, let me do it like this. William, William, um, Walter Williams was 78 years old in Mississippi. And he was on home hospice, and he had a hospice nurse at the, at the house. And Mr. Walter Williams was in his bedroom on home hospice, and his children, grandchildren, nieces, and nephews were in another part of the house. So the hospice nurse goes back into the back room with Walter Williams, and she sees no sign of movement and no motility. And she walks over and checks his pulse and declares that Walter Williams is dead. She goes out and announces it to his children and grandchildren, nieces and nephews. Hate to be the one to tell you, but your father has died. Your father has transitioned out of here. And so they call the coroner. The coroner shows up, and he does the same things. No, he sees no mobility in the body of Walter Williams and checks the pulse. He declares Walter Williams dead. He even signs a death certificate. Walter Williams has died. They call the funeral director. He shows up with that black body bag and takes... Walter Williams' dead body and puts it in the body bag, takes it to the funeral home, and then this is a Wednesday night, and he says, well, in his mind, the funeral director says, I'll just leave the body here for the night in the funeral home, come back in the morning, and then I'll do the embalming. So he leaves the body Wednesday night in the funeral home. He goes home, goes to sleep, wakes back up early in the morning, comes back to the funeral home. He's setting up the instruments to do the embalming of Walter Williams. And the funeral director said, while he was setting up the instruments, he heard some kicking in the bag. And so he goes over, and the funeral director unzips the bag, and Walter Williams is alive. So he calls the family, hey, y'all need to come get Mr. Williams. Uh, your dad, he's down here. He's alive. So the children are all excited. They said, it's a miracle. God performed a miracle. Our father was dead last night on Wednesday, but he's alive on Thursday morning. They're praising God. But the authorities didn't look at it as a miracle. The authorities began to do an investigation of the coroner. And they asked the coroner, how are you going to declare Walter Williams dead? And here he is alive. You said he was dead on Wednesday. He's alive on Thursday morning. And, and, well, and the coroner said, he said, listen, I've been doing this for more than 12 years. I know when somebody is dead. And Walter Williams was dead Wednesday night. And so the authorities said, as they did the investigation, then how do you account for him being alive on Thursday morning? And, and so the coroner said, listen, I do know this, that Mr. Walter Williams had a pacemaker in his chest. 
And evidently somewhere between Wednesday night and Thursday morning, the pacemaker jump-started his heart and brought him back to life. Here's what I want to get across to you. If, if doctors, human doctors, had the wherewithal to put something inside a person, that when death sets in, that it jump-starts them and brings life, how much more shall our Heavenly Father allow the ascension of Jesus so that there is the descension of his Holy Spirit that gets inside of us. And while we're dealing with crisis and sickness and disease and death and unemployment and social injustice, God says, I put my Holy Spirit in you to give you the power to handle whatever you're facing. The Apostle Paul said, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. I thank God for the ascension, Jesus going up into glory because it positions Jesus to prepare a place for prepared people. Jesus ascends, his disciples are looking, two men dressed in white, say, why are y'all looking at him going up? Same Jesus is coming back. And Jesus is going up because he's going to prepare a place. He's going to prepare heaven. He told us that in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, Jesus said that I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you are, there you'll be also. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. In my Father's house are many rooms. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. I thank God for the ascension because it positioned Jesus to prepare that place for us, that prepared place. So those of you who have family members and friends who are Christians, put their faith in Jesus, but they preceded you in death, you don't have to worry. There's a prepared place. Jesus said, I'm going, and heaven is a place. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You ought to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. Heaven is a place. There are people who talk about, well, heaven is a state of mind, or heaven is a, 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 a philosophical idea. Jesus did not say, I'm going away to prepare a state of mind for you. But Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Heaven is a place. It's a prepared place. Even when Jesus was raised from the dead, 40 days later, the ascension, as he ascends on that cloud, Jesus is in his resurrected body. He's in his glorified body. That's why they saw him. They heard him. They hugged him. They touched him. They watched him eat. He's in his resurrected and glorified body. And as he goes up into glory, yo, I know heaven is a place because bodies cannot live in states of mind. Bodies cannot live in philosophical ideas. Bodies have to live in places. And the apostle John said this, you, now are you the children of God, but it does not yet appear what you shall be because you're going to be like Jesus, because you're going to see Jesus as he is. Well, if you're going to be like Jesus, then you're going to have a resurrected body. You're going to have a glorified body. And when you pass from this world, that glorified body has to live in a place. Heaven is a place. In 1 Corinthians 15, it, it talks about that we're all going to have to die, but the resurrection of Jesus transformed death, and so now Death for us becomes like a dressing room where we just go in and pull off and put on. We pull off this mortality and put on immortality. We pull off this terrestrial and put on the celestial. We, we pull off the earthly and put on the heavenly. And it talks about these heavenly bodies, these glorified bodies we will have. And so 
Jesus has prepared, heaven is a place. And these glorified bodies we will have will be, but here's what you got to understand. Heaven is a prepared place, but it's for prepared people. Y'all, there are those, there's a religion called universalism. And in universalism, they believe that, that Jesus was so faithful. Jesus was so obedient to God and so faithful to God that when he died on the cross and God raised him from the dead, he did everything God told him to do, even to the point of death. And he was so faithful. Now, everybody's going to be saved and everybody's going to heaven and it's called universalism. Yo, that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible is the authority of God and the authority for the life of the church and the Christian. And in the Bible, it doesn't say, every, yo, everybody talking about heaven ain't going. It's a prepared, heaven's a prepared place for prepared people. Here's what the word of God says. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because heaven is a prepared place, but it's for prepared people. Praise God for the ascension of Jesus. He, he's in his proper place. He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. The Holy Spirit has come down, and now he lives inside of us eternally, and he fills us. There's a prepared place that those who are Christians, you don't have to worry. When you, when you, when you die on this side, you're more alive on the other side. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Here's the last one. That the ascension of Jesus is so significant and important because it gives us hope and a future. The ascension of Jesus provides for you and I hope and a future. It's right here in Acts chapter 1. Jesus ascends on that cloud going up. The disciples are staring at him. Those two men say to them, why are y'all staring at Jesus as he goes up? said, this same Jesus that you're watching go up now is the same Jesus who's going to come back. That's hope. That's a future. This same Jesus, no matter what you face. And they, y'all, they were in the time of oppression and suppression as Jews by the Roman government. That's why they start asking in Acts 1, is this the time that you want to establish the kingdom? Is this what you, and Jesus starts saying, God has that time. But they're worrying about all of that because oppression was still there. But the, but the two men dressed, pointing out that Jesus is ascending, said, the same Jesus is coming back. You still have a hope. You still have a future. How do I know that? Because the same Jesus, he has not changed no matter how messed up the world is, it's the same, the same Jesus that loved you, the same Jesus that came from heaven to earth, the same Jesus that healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, the same Jesus that told lame men to take up your bed and walk, the same Jesus that multiplied bread and fish, and the same Jesus that turned water into wine, the same Jesus that healed and delivered. He has not changed. So we still have hope, expectation. We still have a future. Because the same Jesus, he has not forgotten you. He's coming back. They're letting, those two men are letting the disciples know that Jesus will show up and he will show up in your crisis and in your life. It's the same Jesus that died on the cross for your sin. The same Jesus that, that God raised from the dead. The same Jesus who's interceding for you right now. The same Jesus preparing you a place. The same Jesus that gave you the Holy Spirit. 
he will show up. It's hope and a future. God, here's what Jeremiah says. <laughs> the prophet Jeremiah says, God has plans for you. And the plans for you, the intentions that God has for you, are for you to succeed, for hope, not failure. Y'all, we have hope. We have a future. We have expectation. It's a trick of the enemy to make you think everything is done, everything is over, because you're experiencing difficulty and catastrophe and crisis and chaos. No, the same Jesus is coming back. That's hope, that's expectation, that's future. He's got plans for you to succeed, plans for you to prosper. I'll close it like this. Uh, my youngest son and I, we were watching an old movie, Moneyball. And Moneyball is about that movie with, uh, with the general manager for the Oakland A's in Major League Baseball, uh, Billy Bean, that used analytics to choose that team that, that ended up breaking the record for the most consecutive wins in Major League Baseball in a season, 20 in a row. And, and in that movie, Moneyball, they mention a character at the end of the movie, and he's a real character. He's, not, he's, a, real, he's a real person, a real baseball pay, player. Jeremy Brown, drafted in 2002, and he was a catcher, and he was a good catcher, and he could throw, and he could hit. But in the movie, it talked about how he, had, uh, he didn't have much confidence in his running. Jeremy Brown didn't have much confidence in his running. He had an at-bat in 2002, and as he hit the ball, he made, a, he made good contact with the ball, but he's, uh, he's not used to running around. He doesn't go past first base. He'll get to first, but no confidence in his running, so he most of the time stops at first. But he had such a connect on that hit, and that ball took off, and so did Jeremy Brown. And he was taking off thinking, I hit it so hard out in the center field, I may be able to get a double. I may be able to get around first and get to second for a double. So he took off and he was running. He hit first base. And as he rounded first base, started towards second, he slipped and failed. And when he slipped and failed, he started crawling back in the dirt, getting back to first. He was rolling in the dirt, trying to get to first base before he get tagged out. And he gets back to first base. And his running coach at first base is telling him to get up and run. Go run. And even the first baseman for the other team is trying to tell him, man, get out, get out of the dirt, man. Get up, go on and run. The crowd is laughing at Jeremy Brown, and he doesn't know what's going on. He didn't understand. Here's what happened. When he hit the ball, he made such great contact on it that it went over the fence by 60 feet. He hit a home run. But he thought it was just enough to get a double. So he slips and falls as he goes past first. No confidence in his running game. And he crawls in the dirt to get back to first. His, the, the running coach at first base is telling him, man, get, get up and run. The, the opposition is even telling him, you hit a home run, man, run. The crowd is laughing. He doesn't understand. He didn't know he had hit a home run. That's why he's in the dirt. That's why he's down. That's why he stopped in one spot. Because he didn't know he hit a home run. Those of us who know Major League Baseball, you know if you hit the home run, the only thing left to do now is just run the bases. Here's what I want to get across to you. Y'all, 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine. God raised him from the dead three days after that. Forty days later, Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father where he makes intercessions for you and I. He's prepared a place. He sent his Holy Spirit. Everything we need because of his connection up there, we got power down here.
My point is, Jesus hit a home run. And when you hit a home run, you don't have to be low down and in the dirt and at a standstill and doing nothing and afraid to run. The only thing left to do is to run that race that's set before you, looking unto Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus has already hit the home run. Now it's time for you to start running.